So today we start a new sermon series. The sermon series is called Kingdom Come. That may sound familiar to you. Have you heard it before? When Jesus was with his disciples, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And remember what he said, depending on the version you maybe memorized it or grew up with it. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your, what? Kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this, in this intro to the prayer, He's saying, here's what you need to do. You need to address our Father, our Father, who is in heaven, right? But who, what is his name? His name is holy, right? His, his name, everything about him, who he is, is holy. And he says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven, just as your will in your kingdom is established in heaven. Let that kingdom come here to earth. And may it be established. May your holiness and your righteousness and your love and your care, your justice, may all of those things come here to earth. It's a topic, this kingdom of heaven topic has been one that's, that's interests me for quite some time. I remember when it first kind of started like piquing my interest uh, I was a youth pastor, and I was teaching our youth on the parables, probably in Matthew, teaching our junior high and high school uh, kids. And I remember getting to Matthew 13, and it's just all about the kingdom of God. There's like seven parables, and they're all about the kingdom of God. And in ones that you've heard of, remember the one, there's a farmer, he has his pockets full of seeds, and he's kind of throwing seeds out. Some are on the road or in the weeds and the rocks, and some are in the soil. He's doing that. He's talking about the kingdom. The disciples later on, they, they pulled him aside uh, from the crowds, and they said, Jesus, why are you teaching us in these parables? Why are you telling all these stories? And he says, I'm, I'm speaking in parables because I'm telling you the mystery of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God. See, their ears are closed, their eyes are shut, their hearts are hardened, but yours are open. You are here to receive, to understand the secrets of the kingdom. And then he goes on and he starts talking about some other parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like the, uh, it's a field with seeds, but also someone um, sows in a whole bunch of weeds and they grow up together. He said that's the kingdom of God. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed that grows into a mighty tree, the kingdom of God. He's, uh, let's see, talking about the, um, somebody finds a treasure, right, in the field and then they cover them up. They sell everything they have and they buy the field and now they have the treasure. The guy who's looking for pearls, he finds the best one in the whole entire world and he buys it the kingdom of god talks about this boat with this huge net that's just kind of going through the water and pulling up all these fish he says such is the kingdom of god and i remember like reading all these going like what is the deal with the kingdom of god at the end of all of these parables i think it's in verse 51 uh jesus uh goes to his disciples, he says, uh, did you understand all of this? Now, do you understand all these parables about the kingdom of God? And the, and the disciples say, yes, yes, we understand. But I'm sitting there going like, I'm calling your bluff, disciples. I don't think you understand it. I think you're lying, right? 
Because I know the disciples, they, they never picked up what Jesus was laying down. You know, it took them a long time. Um, but it took a long time for me too. I'm like, what is the deal with this kingdom? Maybe it's because I didn't grow up in a kingdom or a monarchy. Maybe it's because of the democracy. Maybe that's my issue, right? But, but here's the thing. Like, I've learned a lot about kingdoms over the years. Um, I spent three months in the kingdom of Swaziland, a little country down in um, Africa. I did that in college. Uh, that was my first time under the king's rule, right? So I knew a little bit about that. I'd watched, um, some of you might remember this, some of you are too young, Princess Di and, and Prince Charles. I watched their wedding, you know, when I was a little kid. Like, okay, I get that. That's cool. Uh, I read Shakespeare, Macbeth, Hamlet, you know? So I kind of understand that. And but, but plus, and probably even more influential, is I watched a lot of movies about kings, okay? Uh, the Holy Grail, uh, The Knight's Tale, um, Robin Hood, uh, Lord of the Rings, and the most, you know, influential, The Lion King, <laughs> right? I get it. I know about kings, right? I know all these things that if, when there's a king, there's always an enemy. Like, people don't like the king for whatever it is. Right? They're always trying to get them. Uh, I also know that when, when the king is happy and when things are good, the kingdom is happy. When the king is grumpy or he's threatened, everything is bad in the kingdom. And so, you know, these were some things that I was just trying to figure out. Maybe it took me a little while, but I, I've set my, my course ahead that I'm going to try to figure out all that I can about the kingdom of God. Why is it important to me? One is that this was huge in my understanding of the scriptures. Like I've talked about before, I think a lot of us, we grow up, you know, reading the scriptures and it's just a couple highlights, you know, a couple highlights here and there and maybe some notes in here. And it's just kind of this, this string of highlights and we try to make sense of it. But when I really started to understand the kingdom of God, when I understood a little more about he is the king right, the good and wise and loving king, I started seeing that through the Bible, and it actually connected. It gave me a framework from the very first page of the Bible to the last page. It, it flowed through there, and all the way through, I started seeing this kingdom language and this understanding of the kingdom and, and, and obeying and honoring the king and serving the king. It just it made sense for me. But more than that, it just it changed my life. I, I understood, started to understand, if I'm a citizen of heaven, I have a unique calling. I have, God's favor is upon me. I'm in his kingdom. I'm loved. I'm protected by him. But I also, I have a mission to go out in this world as a citizen. I represent my king to this world. And I want to live for him that way. So that's why it's important to me. But why is it important for our church? Well, let me tell you this. Um, the name of our church is Ambassador Church. Okay? Over the last few years, three years or so, many people have told me, change the name of that church. All right? People don't relate to it. All right? It doesn't connect with anybody. Nobody knows what an ambassador is. We're not in Washington, D.C., where there's embassies and ambassadors. We're on the West Coast. Like, change the name. Even uh, Pastor Ray, I met with him about a year ago, and he's like, change the name. All right, get rid of it. Find something that fits you guys. All right, so I looked at it, and I looked and realized very quickly that all the cool churches, you know, the new churches, they all have an R-E in their name, you know, re-something, right? 
So, you know, like renew, reborn, restoration, redeemer, reverence, redemption. I'm like, all right, what's, what's, an, what's a good name for us, you know? And I, I look at a verse like this. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So I'm like, creation, all right, recreation. That's beautiful. That has a meaning until you read it. Recreation church. <laughs> like, I don't want to be a recreation church. That's like, ugh. All right, so we're back to ambassador. But here's the thing. I love our name. I don't want to change it. We're not going to change it. I love the verse that it comes from, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse that gives us our calling, our name. We are Christ's ambassadors. And as I thought about it, it, it all connects to the kingdom of God. Like an ambassador is a kingdom name, right? It's an official name. The kingdom of God, like we are in God's kingdom, the kingdom of light, his eternal kingdom, yet we're ambassadors, right? What's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who's from this kingdom that leaves that kingdom and goes to another, in our case, countries, right? Leaving one country to go to another country to live there, to bring the values of the kingdom, to kind of oversee the interests and how we can work together, right? To bring the values and, and see them in, around the world. And we've been given that calling to leave that kingdom of light that we're citizens, but to live in the kingdom of this world, the domain of darkness, and to keep bringing people into the kingdom, saying, let me introduce you to our king, our good and loving and, and gracious king. You can come in. You can immigrate into this kingdom. Let me encourage you. Let me show you uh, what God has offered you. And so when I look at that, this kingdom and this name is important to us. This is going to be kind of our foundation as we move forward as a church. It's going to be part of our language. It's going to be giving us guidance to our vision on what we want to see, who we need to be as a church, what this looks like in this community and where you live, how we can be ambassadors and bring the kingdom of God to this world. So that's why it's important. That's why we're going to take the next uh, you know, nine weeks and some time at our retreat to look at this theme and seeing who God has called us to be, what we need to be, and what we need to do. So that's why it's important. That's why I'm glad you're here. So let's, um, as we move forward, let's define the kingdom, right? What, what is the kingdom? Um, when, there's different ways you can study the Bible. You can do a word study, right? A word study is you pick a word like king, you know, and you just trace that one word through the New Old Testament and the New Testament. And there's, you know, Hebrew and Greek, and you're kind of tracing that and, and seeing where it pops up and how it's used. That's one way to do it. But you can also do it as a word, like a, like a, a theme study, where you're not just taking one word. You're taking a bunch of words that all kind of are, you know, about this theme. So for this, the kingdom of God, we're looking at not only king and kingdom, but reign, rule, throne, lordship sovereign, supreme, dominion, power, justice, judgment, even good news. 
is part of this king language. Good, use, good news was used whenever there was a king uh, who was born or a king that conquered or a king that was defeated. It was good news. In Isaiah 52, it says, How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of those who bring what? Good news. Because it's news about the king. Then you get to Isaiah 53, and it says, Who's believed this news about this king? This king who came and who died. You didn't believe it. The people didn't believe it. But then what happens at the beginning of all the Gospels? Good news. A Savior has been born. Good news is here. Because the kingdom has come near. This kingdom is a, it's a, it's a very unifying theme through Scripture. And it, it really, it's like I said, it's from the beginning to the end, but it dominates Jesus' teaching. When Jesus was here, when he was teaching, if you're reading the Gospels, you don't read, you don't go very far without hearing him talk about the kingdom of God. He says, that's why I've come. I've come to proclaim the kingdom of God. I'm going to go out to all the cities. He talks about this in so many different ways in the passage that Lisa read, right? He's saying that you guys get anxious about everything on earth and so much in your lives on what you're going to wear and eat and where you're going to live but he says that. What does he say? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first. That's the only time that I'm aware of that Jesus says, seek first. This one thing. Have this priority over all the other things in life. This is your priority. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek his righteous rule in your life. If you seek him first, then what happens? All these things will be given to you. All these things will be added. All these things will be blessings in your life. They'll be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let it come near. And he says this so many times. He's like, the kingdom of God is near. And he says, it's coming, and it's not yet. That's the mystery. But that's the beautiful thing, that Jesus talks so much about this theme, and it really guides us as we study. We'll see about kings, and we'll see about kingdoms, and we'll hear about his reign and rule and his justice. All these things we'll see as we go through this series. But here's how we'll define the kingdom of God. For our time together over the next few weeks, we'll talk about this phrase, the kingdom, and here's how we'll use it. It's this. The kingdom is this. It's God's reign through his people, over his place, with his blessing. Okay? God's reign through his people, and that's an important word, through them. Not over his people, but through his people, over his place. Where is his place? But with his blessing, because he's a king that's good, and he's a king that blesses his people. And so that's what we'll be looking at for our time today, our remainder of our time today, but throughout the coming weeks. But let's just take this time as it's kind of an intro Sunday to the kingdom of God. Let's just walk through these things. All right, what does it mean for the kingdom? First, God is the reigning king. Okay, God's the reigning king. Uh, the first, uh, the, the kingdom is first, this is a statement about God, right? God is the king. And so what do we know about this king? If you were to start the Bible on page one, 
you were to open it up, you would be introduced to this king. Even though the word king is not used, but it's, it's the king establishing his kingdom, right? And we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see this powerful God that creates from his mouth. He just, he's so powerful, he says words and they happen. The first thing he says, let there be light. What? Out of all the things that you could create first, let there be light? But what's his kingdom? How does he define his kingdom through the scriptures? It's the kingdom of light. Right? He says, here's my kingdom. Let the be at the kingdom of light. And he, he adds some more things. He keeps speaking throughout the days. We see this powerful God. We see he's a creative God. He creates the animals, right? He says, let there be animals that are on the land, that fly in the air, and that are underwater. Why underwater? Like, isn't it just enough, like, to, on the ground? But there's so many animals in the air, on the ground, underwater. It's creative. All right, he's a wise king, too. He's created this world to take care of itself, right? It will water itself, and it will help itself grow, right? It's a He's created all these things that science years later has come to understand, but God created this. He's a good, creative, wise king. But we also see that he has personality, right? It says, uh, even there in the beginning, he says, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, right? Who's us? What is this? Who is this king? Us, there's, a, there's people in it. And we'll come to find out later on. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. But we see there's this, there's this unity in there. They're making people in their own image. And, and then we see in the next chapter that there's this personal relationship. It's this king who walks with his people in his kingdom, talks with them, relates with them. So right there at the beginning, we see this king, right? This king that has created this, this kingdom. But you know where the first time we hear uh, more about him specifically as a king, it's not for another 65 chapters. Not until Exodus 15 is when uh, you kind of have more uh, of this explicit king language. You know, what had just happened? What had just happened in Exodus 15 that... They were, the, the nation of Israel had been in captivity. They'd been slaves to who? A king, King Pharaoh. Egypt is kind of this first kingdom that we see in the scriptures, this big major kingdom. And God said, I'm going to bring my people out. And we often think about it as a conflict between, or a, a competition maybe, whatever, between God and the gods of Egypt. But it's, it is that too, but it's, it's, a king versus a king. God the king versus Pharaoh the king. Who would survive? Who would be standing? Well, we know the story. It's God who's standing. In Exodus 15, it's, this, it's the first psalm, right? It's the first kind of song about to God. And what's it say? I will sing to the Lord for he's highly exalted. Right? Highly exalted. That's a king language. Exalted. Uh, in verse uh, 6, he says, Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemies. In verse 12, you stretched out your right hands and the end of the earth swallowed your enemies. This right hand is king language. It's a figure of speech, what represents God's ultimate power. 
in his authority. He's a majestic king. And in verse 18, it says, the Lord reigns forever and ever. He's exalted. He's strong. He reigns. He is the king. It will continue. You'll see in the next big section where it kind of defines this king and explains who this king is, is in Psalms. Where Psalm, now King David, he's on the throne, right? But he realizes that he's not really the king. That God has made him the king and he calls God the king. If you want to do some studying, look at verses, uh, I mean, Psalm 95 to 99. Really great king psalms. But for our time together, look at Psalm 9. It will be on the screen. Uh, It said, The Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. You see all this? All this king language? He reigns as king, his throne is established. He judges and rules the world with fairness and righteousness. He's a refuge for the oppressed. He protects them. He's trustworthy. And now we get to go brag and boast about our king and tell the nations what he has done. So when we look at this king, we do see the king who is strong and powerful and creative, who's relational, who watches over us, who takes care of us, who protects us, who feeds us and blesses us, and all of these things, that he is the reigning king. But you can't have, uh, no one can be a king unless he has people, right? So this king reigns through his people. When you look at, uh, you think about this, like who are his people? We see first, I mean, again, we go back to the beginning. We see this great story of Adam and Eve, who he's created. He created this people, and sometimes we think like, you know, what would happen, you know, if they didn't eat the fruit? Like, would it just be Adam and Eve and God for like 10,000 years or thousands and thousands of years? But he's, remember what he says, he says, I need you to go and fill the earth. Right, fill the earth and, and subdue it and let it grow. Let this kingdom that started in a garden, let it go out throughout the world. Right? Make, uh, make people grow. Let that be my people. But we didn't see that happen with them because there they were enticed. And instead of coming under the king and under his authority in obedience to him, they rebelled. They rebelled against the king. And that's, gosh, isn't that what I see today? Don't don't you see that today? I mean, people like the concept of a king, but nobody wants to be under a king. Even in today, if you look at like the monarchies around the world, I think there's like 30 of them or so. Most of them are like, the king is just kind of a social person. You know, they don't really rule and judge, but they're just kind of, they're in the community and people like them. Like Sweden has a king and um, there, but they have a parliament that does all this. The king is just there. He's, he's part of the community and part of the country, and people look to him, but, um, but he's not really ruling them because people don't like that, even in our culture. I mean, how many, you know, seven billion people or whatever it is in our world, I feel like there's like seven, you know, billion kingdoms, 
You know, each with one king and nobody following. Because I don't want to follow anybody else. I want to do what I want to do. So that's kind of what we saw unfold. We still see it unfolding. But God said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on a people. I'm going to bring a people together. And so remember, he calls Abram. And he, the king language, right? What does he say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you people. I'm going to give you a land. And I'm going to bless you. He does that. He brings them together, and, and he, he creates this nation of people. Even in Deuteronomy chapter 7, a little later on, when he's talking about his people, right? They've just been brought out of Egypt, and they're coming into the, the promised land. But he reminds them of who they are. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession, his treasure. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than all the people. Right? You are the fewest. It's not because you are the most popular or the best looking or whatever it is. He says, I just chose you. It was because the Lord loved you and kept an oath he swore to his ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. From who? From the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, I'm bringing, you're my people. I'm your king. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to love you. Right? So we see this played out and throughout the scriptures, you see that they didn't always love, uh, mostly didn't love being under his authority. And they rebelled again and again and again. But in the New Testament, we see a new people. The new people, right? The Jews and Gentiles that are coming into uh, this community. Colossians 1.13, great verse. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. That's what God does. He comes, he rescues us out of where? That dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brings us into the kingdom of his son who he loves. He's brought us into the kingdom. We, the church, we are part of his kingdom. We're in his kingdom. Now, the church has many names, the bride of Christ and things like that. The church is not the kingdom itself. Dallas Willard says it better than I can. He says, churches are not the kingdom of God, but are primary and inevitable expressions, outposts, and instrumentalities of the presence of the kingdom among us. So don't think kingdom of God is the church, but we, as part, we, as the church, we represent him, an outpost, a, a fort, an embassy, if you will, of God's kingdom. That's a beautiful thing. So who are we? Who are the citizens found in his kingdom? We are people who have been adopted by the king. Right? We have been called, rescued out of the darkness, and we've been adopted into his family. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, we're told in Ephesians. We're adopted. We have access to the, to the king. This is beautiful. You think about it. Remember Esther. In the book of Esther, when she had to approach the king, but she was fearful. She was afraid. She was saying, hey, if the king doesn't want to see me, he can take off my head. But if I die, I die. Do you remember that? 
Then look at this in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a beautiful picture of our king who's on the throne, who says, you're my children, you're adopted into my family, you're my prince, my princess. You have access. Come with confidence so I can help you. We've been adopted. We have access to the king. Even more, we're priests. We're priests of the king for the, for the kingdom. He says in Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. He says that you are a royal priesthood, right? Remember that, a holy nation? He says, what, what do you do? To proclaim the excellencies. That's a king word. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. Again, the same thing. You're a kingdom of priests. You proclaim the glories, the excellencies of God who brought you out of the darkness and into his kingdom of light. How beautiful. How much does God love you? So much that he rescued you. He called you. He gave you a new identity. He says, come to me when you're in trouble. You can approach with confidence and go out and proclaim the excellencies of the kingdom. We have a God who reigns through his people. Right? But every king that reigns has people, but also a place, a land. God reigns over this place, over his place. What's his place? Where does God reign? Heaven? Certainly, for sure. We see that in Isaiah 66, right? Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. When you think about that, I, at least I do, I think, oh, heaven's great. Earth is a place for dirty feet. <laughs> like, that's all it is. But if you think about the kingdom, like where do people come when they are in need of mercy? They come and they fall down on their knees at what? The feet of the king, at the footstool. This world, is, this is a place of God's mercy, where his mercy is unveiled. He created this place. This is his holy place where mercy is, is, is given, where love is shown. So yeah, we see it in the kingdom or in Eden in the very beginning. You see it in the promised land as the story unfolds. You see it specifically in the in the tabernacle and in the temple in Jerusalem. But then you see his presence leave, right? In in in, in Ezekiel and these prophets, they talk about his presence leaving. Right? They just leave the land. But the beautiful thing is that story continues when Jesus comes. Right, And he creates this new kingdom of people. And what does he put into the lives of all his followers? But the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living in us. We're, we're like the, the place. We are his place. His land. Uh, uh, this last January, my wife and I were able to go to Israel. We went over to Israel, and it was a quick trip, and we loved it. And I hope we can take a, a group from our church someday. That would be really exciting. But... I was kind of expecting to be like in some of these places, you know, where, uh, like in, where Jesus was crucified in the tomb or where he was born and really feel something. Because like it's a special place, right? God's presence is there. Or the wailing wall, you know, where they say they leave the prayers in the wall. 
you know, because that's the presence of God. But when I was there, I, it didn't, I didn't feel it. I mean, it was cool to see it and kind of have the understanding and fill in kind of in color the stuff I had read my whole life. But I didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, this is a special place because this is where God's presence is. Because why? It's not in a location. It's in us. It's in the followers. We're, we have his presence. His presence is here. And that's the power. It's not in a place. We don't do pilgrimages to sense his power, his presence. His presence is here. God reigns over his place. He reigns over our lives. But someday, what scriptures tell us is the footstool becomes the throne. Right? In Revelation 21, where that new, where God's heaven is coming here to earth. Earth will be purified, but it will be the throne. It will be the kingdom of God in its fullness. And that's what I get excited about. That's what I can't wait. This earth being renewed as his kingdom. The last one, God's reign is to bless. All right? We have a God who loves to bless his people. All the way through, we see his presence. And where his presence is, there is his blessing. I love just the different gospel writers all talk about it. They all, when they're introducing who Jesus is, they're all talking about his presence, right? Like, like Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, we read it at Christmas. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through his prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? Mark talks about Jesus bringing the kingdom of God coming near. Right? Luke talks about it's come, or the kingdom of God has come to redeem. John talks about the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that we would see his glory. You see, God's presence is here. He's come, and where his presence is, there is his blessing. Specifically, that's where we find salvation. That's where we see salvation, where we are called out of darkness and into the light, given new life. It all happens because of God's blessing around us. Guys, this, when we look at the kingdom this way, we see the power of God. We see this amazing king who loves us, who's created this world for us. He loves us and he shows us his glory. And that should change our hearts. It should change the way, yes, we read scripture, but it should change the way we live. Because we are citizens of heaven and we represent him. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're representing the king. How are we doing that? How are we representing him? Tim Keller, who passed away just about a week and a half ago, wrote a lot about this. What I love about Tim is that Tim was all for the city, right? New York. He loved the city. And so when he talked about this, he didn't talk about the kingdom of God. He talked about the city of God. So beautiful for Tim. I love that he did that. It made sense. But here's what he said about God's city, the kingdom. He said, the citizens of God's city are the best possible citizens of their earthly cities. The citizens of heaven, you and I, should be like the best representations of God's city here, in your city, where you live, where you work, 
where you study, where you play. We want to be the best citizens. And so for us as a church, like this is important. That one, it kind of gives us a framework and establishment, but it also it moves us forward to say, let's go represent that king. Let's, let's, let's call people to be reconciled. Let's proclaim the excellencies of him. Let's see our cities flourish just as we want to see the kingdom of God flourish. Let's pray that the kingdom of God comes and he uses us in some way, whatever that is, to bring love, care, compassion, respect, things that the world needs to see in the world needs to look to the church and not see division and not see all this arguing and and bickering, but see this kind of love and this kind of passion for this world. Can we be that kind of church? Are you up for the challenge? We need to be. We need to be. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Next few weeks and for onward as we go, we want to be a church that represents the kingdom of God, that, that shows the light wherever we are. We want to be a church that's seeking first the kingdom of God. Hey, we've got a lot of things to worry about. There's a lot of concerns we have, true. But our priority is not what we wear, not what we eat, not where we sleep, not where we live, not where we go to school, not any of these things. Priority is God's kingdom, his righteousness. But that just means that everything is important. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, when first things are placed first, second things are not suppressed but enhanced. If we are able to seek God's kingdom first, we're going to see all his blessing just come around us. All these things that, that we have in life are going to be enhanced, and we're, God's going to use these things to let the kingdom flourish. I, I have no doubt So that's what we're going to be about. That's what we'll be looking at in the next few weeks. And I hope that just piques your interest. I hope that gets you excited. And I hope that it doesn't just change your mind, although that's important, right? Or transform the way we think. But I hope it transforms our hearts as we live as citizens of his kingdom.